0: What is up everyone? This is Alex Lieberman, co-founder and CEO of Morning Brew. Welcome back to Founders Journal, my personal audio diary where I give you, the business builder, the tools you need to think better in order to build better whether that's building a business, a team, or a new product. So a ton of you wrote in and seemed to really like this company's storytime theme, where I break down a business's history and the lessons we can all learn from it. The first time we did it, I told the story of Colin Wong and Pinduoduo, which is the $200 billion e-commerce behemoth in China. Today, I'm going to share a very different story about an equally as large behemoth. If you own a business or if you work in sales, you probably know this business. If you don't, it may be less familiar. And that company is Salesforce. Salesforce is the number one CRM platform globally. And if you haven't heard the term CRM before, basically it's just jargon that stands for customer relationship management, which is just a fancy way of saying a place for you to keep track of your current or potential customers rather than using a spreadsheet or your brain. Anyway, Salesforce has a fascinating story about. Industry disruption, rapid growth, and strongly held values. And I want to dive into it today. So let's hop into it. Salesforce is massive. And I think because it's a B2B company, not a consumer facing company, people don't appreciate just how massive it is. It's a $210 billion company in terms of market cap, over 50,000 employees, $21.3 billion in 2021 fiscal year revenue. It is an absolute behemoth, but every behemoth starts as a baby. And every baby is founded by people that at one point in time could not have fathomed running a company this big. Mark Benioff is no exception. So Mark is the most visible of Salesforce's four founders. He's the CEO, the chairman, and has been part of the business since it was founded in 1999. For reference, I wasn't still in diapers, but I was six years old. I hope I wasn't in diapers. But (laughs) the interesting thing about Mark which is a trait that is not at all uncommon for successful founders, is he was an entrepreneur long before Salesforce. Benioff grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and beginning in high school, he tried his hand at entrepreneurship. So when he was 14 years old, he sold his first piece of software, which was called How to Juggle. He sold it to a computer magazine for $75. And then at the age of 15, he founded his first company, Liberty Software, great name, which created and sold games for the Atari 8-bit home computer. By 16 years old, Mark was earning royalties of $1,500 a month, which at the time was enough for him to pay his way through USC, which is where he was going to college. While at USC, Mark had internships, several internships with Apple, where he was a programmer in its Macintosh division under none other than Steve Jobs. Jobs actually became one of Benioff's mentors, and Benioff has made it clear to this day that there would be no Salesforce without Steve Jobs. And Mark anticipated going back into programming after college, but a bunch of his professors told him that he needed to get more customer-oriented work experience immediately after school. So we didn't go back to Apple. That's what ultimately led him to Oracle which was and is the enterprise software company. And he took an entry-level customer support role. The long story short of Mark's tenure at Oracle is he absolutely crushed it. He was there for 13 years. He earned himself the title of Oracle's Rookie of the Year at 23. And then he was promoted to vice president in the company at 26. That was the youngest ever for a person to hold that title. It was this success that caught the eye of, Oracle's founder, who also is a billionaire, Larry Ellison, and they ended up becoming super close. Like Ellison was a huge mentor to Benioff. The two ended up sailing together in the Mediterranean on Ellison's yacht. They visited Japan during cherry blossom season together. I'm not making this up. And I pointed it out in the first case study episode, the Pinduoduo one, and I'll point it out again. Mark Benioff had some of the best brains in the world Supporting him during his most formative years as a professional. And then it's just such an unfair advantage for an entrepreneur when you have people who have been through all of the things you're going to go through, made all the mistakes, and teach you about those mistakes so you don't make them. So after 13 years with Oracle, Benioff was looking for something new. And Ellison was nice enough to give him permission to take a sabbatical for a year and travel the world. During the sabbatical, Mark spent a lot of time meditating in Hawaii. Must be nice. And he came up with the idea for Salesforce while this is not a joke, swimming with dolphins. And the idea for Salesforce sounds simple, but at the time it was completely revolutionary. All that Mark wanted to do was bring CRM, customer relationship management into the internet age. And the whole premise was up to that point, software was incredibly burdensome. It required high upfront costs, huge hardware costs small and mid-sized companies couldn't afford it. It required software to be downloaded and updated locally. So you couldn't like just download the new version like you do on your iPhone. You literally needed CD-ROMs or whatever they used at the time, brought it physically to your office to download to each computer. And so installation of software and upgrades of it literally took six to 18 months. And so Mark ended up coining this concept or this mantra of the end of software. And the idea was to introduce an on-demand 24-7 software model where all the information lived in the cloud and not a local server. It would make things far less expensive and far more flexible for the end customer. And so March 8th, 1999, Mark Benioff and three co-founders incorporated Salesforce and they began working on the very first version of its CRM product in a rented one-bedroom apartment on San Francisco's Telegraph Hill. To me, the most fascinating part is what they focused on in these early days. So during these formative years, Salesforce laid the foundation for long-term success. And I think a ton of it can be attributed to something called V2MOM, probably the world's worst acronym. It's a Mark Benioff creation. And the way that I think of V2MOM is just like the traction system we use at Morning Brew or OKRs, which a lot of people use. It was made famous by Andy Grove at Intel. And basically all V2Mom is, is it's a process for planning, for setting your goals, and for maintaining a clear company direction. It literally stands for vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures. And according to Benioff, it allowed him to clarify what he's doing and then communicate that clearly to the entire company, starting with literally just the four co-founders in 99. Salesforce ended up committing to their first V2 mom in the first few weeks of existence. They wrote it on a large American Express envelope. And the cool part is several years later, Parker Harris, who was one of the four co-founders, and right now he's the CTO of Salesforce, he framed the original V2 mom and gave it to Mark Benioff on the day of their IPO. And so just to give you a taste of what it said, as you think about like your own planning and your own goal setting, I'm going to read one bullet from each part of the V2 mom, which is dated April 12th, 1999. The company's vision, which I would imagine hasn't changed that much. Maybe it's just gotten loftier and more ambiguous because it's more ambitious is rapidly create a world-class internet company for Salesforce automation. Its first value is world-class organization. Its first method is hire the team. Its first obstacle is developers, and its first measure is prototype that is state of the art. And the cool part about this is V2Mom has remained the roadmap for Salesforce and where the company is going over all of these years. It's not just for Benioff and his co founders anymore. V2Mom has been adopted across Salesforce, where every single employee in the company, all 50,000 people, Draft their own V2 mom and then they post it on the company's internal social network for everyone to see. And I fundamentally believe that this process for setting direction, setting goals, communicating those clearly has acted as the backbone for the business to grow from zero to 50,000 over the last two decades. And I think it's this is like a great place for you to reflect as a builder to think about do you have your own system or a system you use like V2 Mom, traction, OKRs, it doesn't matter. But I think it's interesting to think about, do you have this system? And if you don't, why do you think that is? Aside from V2 Mom, there was one other really intentional decision made in the early days of the company that I think has been a massive competitive advantage for Salesforce throughout its 22 years. And that's culture. I'd mentioned to you that between Oracle and Salesforce, Benioff took this year-long sabbatical traveling the world and it was some of his most meaningful time specifically spent in Hawaii. When Mark was in Hawaii, he rented a beach house. He spent a lot of time connecting with locals, and he started learning about various Hawaiian traditions and customs. And one of those was this concept of ohana. And ohana literally translates to family, but it's, it's not like how we think about family. It's way more inclusive than the traditional definition of the word. The idea of ohana is a family that's Includes everyone who's blood-related, adopted, intentionally bound together, and the idea is that everyone is responsible for one another in Ohana. And when Salesforce was founded, Mark made sure that Ohana was deeply tied into the company's values and that its commitment to family wasn't just this commitment to employees. It's extended to partners, customers, members of the community, everyone that's part of kind of like this extended Salesforce family. And the reason I call this out is because this intention around culture and values, it shows Salesforce has consistently been awarded with top company to work for and most socially responsible corporation awards for several years. And it doesn't just happen by chance. The company has practiced what it's preached literally for 22 years straight. The team wore Hawaiian print shirts in the first days of the business. It appointed Benioff's dog, Koa, as the chief love officer. On day one, the team launched 1%. Which was this model of giving, where one percent of the company's time, one percent of its revenue, and one percent of its product are given to charity. It's been practicing this culture for 22 years, and it should make you realize how important the early innings of a business are for setting the right foundation. So let's uh, let's talk about growth now. What is it beyond strong culture, values, and direction that allowed Salesforce to go from zero to 46th largest company in the world? I think about it in three stages. The first stage was category creation, the second stage was platformization, don't know if that's a word but it sounds good, and the third stage is product expansion. So stage 1 of Salesforce's business was about creating a new offering that the world did not know existed or could exist or that it needed. And that was software as a service, SaaS. And it's funny when you think about now cuz everyone talks about SaaS. Every software product is SaaS. It, every software product lives in the cloud. But up to this point, enterprise software like I said, was super expensive, time inflexible, and unapproachable for small to mid-sized businesses. The titans of the industry were Oracle, Cybele, SAP, and Benioff, as a former Oracle employee, he saw an opportunity to disrupt his employer because he saw the pain points that his customers had. And so he and his team imagined this world in which world-class customer relationship management, CRM, could be totally on demand, and in the cloud without having to buy expensive and risky software and hardware. And that's just what they did. They shepherd this new era that we know as modern cloud computing. No massive servers in your office, no need to download software locally each time, just a computer, the internet, and applications on top of it. And with this category-defining technology, the company scaled from four co-founders in an apartment to $176 million in revenue within five years. It was in that fifth year that Salesforce went public on the New York Stock Exchange under the extremely fitting ticker of CRM. And on the first day of trading, the stock went up 55%. And during this first stage of growth, the company was able to accelerate the adoption of their CRM through two incredibly smart marketing strategies. The first was guerrilla marketing. As I mentioned, it coined the slogan, End of Software, which it used for all sorts of viral stunts. One stunt I want to call out is Salesforce staged a mock protest outside of Cybele Systems, the competitor I mentioned. They had a user conference, and Cybele was the largest CRM at the time. Salesforce literally hired protesters to carry large signs that said the end of software, had them chant anti-software slogans, and attendees would literally see this protest as they walked in and out of the conference. The second marketing strategy is what I call product-based viral marketing. Salesforce's CRM was an amazing marketing engine in itself. Think about it. The company's core customers were salespeople. And so the software sold itself because when your product helps people make more money, or in this case, salespeople close more deals, the stickiness and satisfaction is going to be super high. In addition, with the creation of SaaS, Software as a Service, the company allowed the first five users to use their CRM free of charge. Today, freemium is like ubiquitous. At the time, this was the genesis of the freemium model. And when you think about it, it was basically a cost of marketing to give away the first five licenses to team members for free, because then if they tried it and liked Salesforce's CRM, those people would go tell their team. And very quickly, you would have an entire sales org paying beyond the first five users who were the testers or the marketers of the product. It was the stickiness and the virality of Salesforce's free trial model that allowed the company to grow from 1.2 million to 176 million in these first five years. And so moving to stage two, stage one was about category creation and smart marketing. Stage two was very different. As Salesforce paved the way for cloud computing, The industry took notice. It grew really quickly, far quicker than the traditional model of enterprise software they had disrupted. And so with that came a ton of new cloud businesses or competitors for the first time. And companies saw this new way of serving customers in the cloud as way more efficient. And so they joined in, obviously. It meant more competition for Salesforce, which obviously led to a major strategic decision by Mark Benioff. And his decision was go from SaaS to PaaS turning the product into a platform. Instead of fighting competition, Salesforce went the other way and invited competition. They created App Exchange in 2005, which basically allowed third-party developers to create their own apps on top of Salesforce and then sell them to a community of other Salesforce users. You can think about this as like the original version of the App Store on an iPhone. This not only created a virtuous cycle where more users joined the platform, as more apps were available because the platform became more valuable to users. But then as more users joined, more developers joined the platform because now they had more users who could possibly buy the apps they built. It also created a revenue stream because Salesforce would charge third parties who built this software on top of their software. They would have to pay for the privilege to do that. And app exchanges continued to expand throughout the years. And now there are massive companies that took the early bet of building their business on top of someone else's platform, and it paid off massively. For example, there's a cloud accounting company. It's called financialforce.com. It does over $140 million in annual revenue and was built on top of Salesforce App Exchange from day one. Platform as a service became the next evolution in Salesforce's journey. It was a strategy that built community and network around the CRM and drove continued growth and adoption. This stage lasted roughly until 2010. And at that point, Salesforce was doing right around $1.3 billion in revenue, and it had 72,000 paying customers. That brings us to the third and final stage. And this stage I refer to as the time of product expansion through building and buying. And I think we're still in this stage. Over the years, Salesforce has become a market leader in CRM right? It has 17% of a $43 billion market that is continuing to grow as cloud computing continues to become adopted. But now the narrative has shifted. Now, as the incumbent in the industry, an industry where Salesforce was once fighting to dethrone the incumbents, the company must find ways to grow rapidly, even in the face of more competition and even with a more mature business. And that strategy is finding more and better ways to deliver customer success for the enterprise. CRM was the first way to do it, right? They enabled salespeople to manage and grow their customer base. But to me, that is just one way to help the C-suite or CEO succeed in their job. And that's exactly how I think Salesforce is thinking about it, right? If they are there to support the CEO or the C-suite, how else can they fan out their offerings to help the other major pillars of the business? And so they've gone into everything from marketing to commerce to employee experience to analytics and business intelligence. And they've done this through two different types of innovation organic and inorganic growth. Organic innovation comes through products that are built internally by Salesforce. Inorganic innovation comes through products that are acquired externally, products or companies. So tools like Chatter, Einstein, Marketing Cloud, and a bunch of others. They were built within Salesforce to offer customers things like social collaboration and digital marketing. And then you have 64 acquisitions that have happened over the last 10 years that include Heroku, Tableau, Pardot, most recently Slack, that have helped the company either augment and complement their organic innovation or just completely filled the void of untapped market opportunities that still help that core C-suite or CEO demographic. And so that brings us to today. Today, Salesforce is the 46th largest company in the world. It has a $210 billion market cap. Benioff is still at the helm 22 years later, except instead of just him and three co-founders, he has a few more people, 50,000 employees in the workforce. This workforce drove $21.3 billion in 2021 fiscal year revenue. But beyond its size, obviously it's massive. There are three things that just I'm wildly impressed by, but also I think we as builders can learn from. The first is that the foundation for your company's culture and its values are seated on day 1. I fundamentally believe that. I think it's possible to shape culture in the later years of business, but I do not think you can just change it all together. And so from emphasis on ohana to literally naming Benioff's dog the chief love officer to the 1% philanthropy program. Salesforce's award-winning culture is like a redwood tree. It was seeded 22 years ago and it has literally been watered and sprouting for the remaining 21 years. The second is that planning and direction can't start too early in a startup. At Morning Brew, we implemented a planning process four and a half years into the business. At Salesforce, they implemented V2 Mom on day one. It is a super simple framework, but I believe it was key In keeping the whole company aligned and speaking in the same language throughout the three stages of the business. And the third is that reading the room in business is key to survival and to thriving. It's not just about building your business in a silo and hoping customers are gonna come. Sometimes it's just as important to lift your head up, have a clear sense of the environment, trends happening in the industry, and the competition around you in order to have a well informed strategy. And that strategy, obviously, hopefully creates a position of leverage for the business to be stronger moving forward. For Salesforce, everything has been about reading the room. It saw after the advent of SaaS that there was going to be a lot of competition as cloud computing became the thing. That's what led them to driving AppExchange forward and building a platform for other third parties to build on top of Salesforce. And then also the extension to other lines of business as CRM itself got more crowded, and with slower growth, Benioff and his team have been incredible at just continuing to read the industry to help inform where the company is going. And that's it. That's it, folks. The story of Salesforce, second company story time, is officially in the books. I have one ask of you. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend that you think would also love to nerd out on business in general, but also would love to learn from the experiences of other entrepreneurs. Thanks so much for listening to Founders Journal, and I'll catch you next episode. Hey, I'm Quincy, one of the social media managers here at The Brew, popping in to let you know that Founders Journal has its own social pages and we're having quite a party. We're sharing listener stories, we're answering questions, we're giving content recommendations. So if you're not following us, you're really missing out. Keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter, at FoundersPod, that's Founders, P-O-D. And you can also reach us via email at, foundersjournal at morningbrew.com. I'll see you on the interwebs.